0: Hi, I'm Samuel, and I'm Bentley, and this is the re Podcast. Alright, so <laughs> I really don't want to get into the review of the latest sci-fi superhero blockbuster, but I think it's worth talking about Guardians of the Galaxy because you have heard me say for years that just because something is popular doesn't make it good. There's a distinct difference between stuff that's in the canon, and stuff that's at the top of the box
1: office. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Um, my dad is trying to very gently lead into basically saying that we are going to be sipping on that haterade really hard here, <laughs> certainly at least for the first Guardians film. The first Guardians film is uh, very close to entering the canon for my generation. Why? Why? Uh, I don't know, dude. Like, you're asking the wrong person. Like, you're supposed to
0: represent your generation on this podcast.
1: Look, okay, here's the thing. I'm not trying to be a contrarian, <laughs> hipster, jerk. I really do love a lot of the Marvel films. Uh, I get great enjoyment out of them. I love that they are such an easy conversation piece to have between myself and people who you know maybe aren't quite as nerdy as I am, but I love that I can have those conversations in the mainstream now. Mm-hmm. And Guardians of the Galaxy is really one of those crossover hits i mean it has it appealed to your generation as you've talked about in other podcasts. you have to get the Gen x money mm-hmm. you know uh it it appeals you know across a wide spectrum of of not only age but where people are in their lives i mean you've got Small children who just like Groot and you 've got right. teenagers who really think that the soundtrack is pretty cool because they think that it makes them you know more sophisticated than their peers, and then there are college people who like it because they see in Chris Pratt a kind of rolling like failure mascot that we can all look to and it's like <laughs> i i look yeah, you're right so I think that 's why
0: I thought it was okay to talk about guardians for this podcast because it is an intergenerational dialogue. Yes. Absolutely. And Absolutely. it was also wildly popular the first time wildly around.
1: Wildly popular. Grossed something like uh, $775 million or something against a budget of, uh, after the British government gave them rebates, of about $200 million. So that's a huge financial success just in terms of box office, but that's not including... The uh, dancing baby Groot dolls. That's not including the Rocket Raccoon plushies. That's not including the Gamora swimsuits. Like, merchandising for this movie was insane. And the soundtrack sold like an album from your generation would have sold. Like, it didn't sell the numbers that modern albums do. I mean, it was certified, man. They, They
0: tore up the charts. Right, so that gets me to the other thing I really want to talk about. You know, I grew up soaking in boomer nostalgia, right? There was a period in like the 80s where you couldn't get a movie that didn't have a Motown song on it. I think I've seen 15 movies, maybe 20, that had I feel good on the soundtrack and so I just had to get through that to get to whatever story they wanted to tell. The boomer nostalgia was everywhere. And now I watch something like Guardians and they're clearly taking the same tools and they're pitching to me. It's just a different song, right? I'm not getting Motown anymore. I'm getting uh, freaking Fleetwood Mac, right? Because that was on Top 40 when I was starting to listen to the radio. And, uh, you know, they're making jokes about David Hasselhoff. You know, that's TV that I watched in the early 80s. So... Why wouldn't I like this? Should I like this? They're finally turning all these tools to pitch to my generation, Gen X. I don't like it. I feel just as manipulated now as I did when I was watching the boomers being manipulated. Well,
1: if you're being intellectually honest, you have to be able to acknowledge when they're just playing <laughs> off of your emotions. I mean, it's 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 uh, character shorthand. They don't really have to tell you much about these characters. They can just throw a catchy track next to them, and you will fill in with your advanced human brain the details that say, oh, I like this character. It goes back to what we've talked about with Scott McCloud and The Miracle of the Human Brain, that we can see two dots and a line and think face, the same thing happens with music and visual imagery. Absolutely. You see something, you hear, come and get your love, and you're like, oh I man, Chris Pratt's character listens to the music that I do. And you like him. They haven't had to do anything with that character. Correct. All he has to do is dance around and hold a rat like he's singing into it, which is a funny <laughs> image, but like... You can go 20, 30, you know, I'd argue uh, up until really the end of that film, I don't really know who Chris Pratt, who Star-Lord is, other than he's kind of a dick. (laughs) And he doesn't really seem to take any of this very seriously when other people really do kind of see the threat. I mean, he... uh, So we're going to do full spoilers, at least for Guardians 1. We might not do full spoilers for Guardians 2. Mm. We'll see what we do. But full spoilers for Guardians 1. It's been out for three years. You know, at the end of the film... Chris Pratt has like a dance off with Ronan the Accuser. Like, yeah. dude, he's about to eat this planet. Like, well, there's no
0: reason why the bad guy would stop and listen to that.
1: No, they, no,
0: you know. <laughs> so yes, the the problem with a piece of art that has actual worth and is going to actually survive through the generations, you know, that kind of work is built from the inside out, and the details matter, and they hold together. And Guardians 1 is built from the outside in, right? Nostalgia is a cheat. It is uh, putting up the siding of the house before you even put up the joists or the foundation, right? It's it's empty. And so the problem I had was, okay, yes, I love all that music. When we were all stealing music 15 years ago, I was on LimeWire downloading, Come and get your love. You know, before iTunes, that's what I was stealing. So I should love Guardians. But when I watched it, finally, I was like, you know what? This doesn't hold. They use it to get you in and to like the characters without explaining the characters. But then they don't go through with it. They they bail on that. So, for example, the little details, like there's a scene out on the balcony that's supposed to be romantic where he and the green chick, Gamora. Gamora, he puts his earphones on her so she can listen to this music. And, you know, it's getting a little romantic. And something happens inside the building that takes their attention away. There's some kind of emergency. I don't even remember what it was. But you see Chris Pratt turn and start to go in, and then the next cut is them racing into the room. If this music was so important to him, he would have carefully pulled the headphones back off of her to preserve his little unit that lets him listen to crappy 70s earth music, right? <laughs> if if this is so important to him, he's not going to just turn and run when he has the Walkman on his hip and she has the earphones on her.
1: Yeah, it would damage
0: the headphone jack. It doesn't uh-huh. make any sense once you've established that this music is important to him. So about halfway through the movie, they bail on it. Then they expect you to believe in this dance off at the end of it they they come back to the music after they've bailed on it. Yeah. So, uh, there's a lot of this storytelling that's cheap and shorthand.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's uh I remember the emergency that they're responding to and it, I think it branches out beautifully from that point. They're responding to Rocket getting drunk in the bar and starting to shoot his gun ah. because he's, you know, emotionally kind of crippled. Yeah. And again, it's all shorthand. I mean, he just goes on this drunken rant where he vomits his backstory. Mm-hmm. And I don't, like, I, oh my God, do I not care? Like, if you're just shooting and and screaming about how you didn't ask to be created, like, that is just, I mean, that's, that's the nadir of, of storytelling. You know, you haven't thought of any logical way for his backstory to come up naturally in conversation. So you're just like, oh, let's get the character drunk. So that he can spout all this stuff off and we can have <laughs> right. the thinnest, barest narrative premise to have him give you his full backstory. And you know what? By that point, I still didn't really care about no. Rockets. So when I hear his tragic backstory, here's the other thing. And this is just like a personal thing. Raccoons are not that sympathetic of an animal to me. They're they're little rodents. They're little weasels. <laughs> like, you want to make me go, oh you put like, you know, a dog in front of me. You put something cute. like. Raccoon, it's it's a trash monster. Like uh, I don't
0: care. Well, I like that, and uh, I like raccoons.
1: You like raccoons. I don't.
0: <laughs> so the other thing that makes Guardians suffer uh, is when we're comparing it to stuff that is in the cultural canon, right? I mean, it was so clear to me, like Titan A.E. Well, so that's that's the thing. We ought to love Guardians, right? At this point, if anybody's still listening to this podcast, they must be like, wait a minute, they're playing the music that you love. It's basically a Star Wars movie. What, oh, yeah. you love the Marvel movies. It, that's a triple play, isn't it? Why yeah. is it three strikes instead what the of triple is wrong play? with you Right. We've already done a podcast about how much we love Titan AE as kind of a fake Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't we like Marvel's fake Star Wars movie? Well, mm-hmm. it's because of the storytelling. It's because if you're building something from the outside in and it's pretty clear that you're ripping off Star Wars or these other kind of stereotypes or tropes, you know then, you know, give us something more. Otherwise, I'm just going to go back and watch A New Hope.
1: Yep. So, you brought up something really salient that I really liked, um, where you talk about how the soundtrack is, at least within its own narrative, very consistent until you get to. Cherry Bomb! That really pissed me off. Okay, so here's the thing. I want you to go on this for a little while, but then I need to interject my thing about where I stand and how much I love punk rock and how this makes my blood, specifically as a millennial who appreciates the mid-70s, late-70s punk rock beginnings, foundations, makes my blood
0: boil. Well, this is where you're my son. Like, it's, just... <laughs> it's the same thing. So, And this is why we have the podcast. We're talking about the importance of storytelling. You can have an outside idea right I can see the pitch meeting where Marvel sits down and goes look we want some of that Star Wars money we want the plush toys you know we need something other than you know adolescent boy fantasies like Iron Man you know we need something a little broader okay that's fine that's a marketing meeting but if you want this thing to last you've got to tell a story there is no substitute for story and there's no substitute for getting the details right so again Here's this soundtrack. I love all the music. I grew up on it. And I have it on my iPod, but it's a separate playlist. And if we're supposed to believe that. His mom mm-hmm. gives him a mixtape of music that she loves. Okay, it's going to have Fleetwood Mac and Billy Joel and Cat Stevens on it. It's not going to have Cherry ch- ch-
1: ch- 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 Bomb, Bomb. By Joan Jet and the freaking... Like, you it's not
0: going to have punk rock on it. And so, you know, they've bailed on the important detail.
1: So here's, here's my thing. The Runaways. Mid, late 70s. You, you've got punk rock. It's coming. It's happening. The beginnings of it are stirring in New York and London and on the West Coast. Yep. It's beginning, it's formulating, and it is a direct refudiation of Fleetwood Mac. Yes. They are looking Fleetwood Mac dead in the eyes and saying, you suck Little Richard Rules. Right. And that's so... why I love punk rock is because, in my view, it saves us from the 60s and 70s melodic, like psychedelic rock which is you know just barely rock and roll for me like Mm. the punks are looking back at the stuff that they grew up with and saying wait a second these guys are going way harder than their immediate successors the grandchildren of little richard and chuck are going wait this previous generation sucked we are (laughs) going to take this back to being about drugs and sex and violence and adrenaline a direct refudiation, it's them locking eyes and saying, we're not going to do that. There's no reason it would be on the same playlist as freaking Fleetwood Mac. And as someone who worships at the altar of playlists, who made playlists professionally for three years, this is infuriating to me. It yeah. is infuriating. Yeah, If
0: you're, I mean, if you're going to sell music as a big part of the storytelling, then you've got to get that right. So that's a detail that they just clearly didn't care enough about. And so here we are. We're hating on something that sold really well. Yeah, no. <laughs> this play I'm I'm astounded that your generation loves this music because of the First Guardians. It's crazy.
1: It's it's I I can't explain it, dude, but I you point to every other millennial and they'll have the full Guardians of the Galaxy soundtrack on their you know, uh computer or their iPod or whatever. But I mean,
0: have you ever heard them say what they like about that? about the music because it, this is the mellow gold stuff that was on KTEL. uh you well, know it, it...
1: parents listen to it but now you know you can have ownership of it without having to be associated with your parents i mean it's hmm. it's i have never been ashamed of inheriting a great deal not all but a great deal of your musical taste that's never been something that's been a point of shame for me but i think a lot of people in their teenage years try and find the point that's furthest from their parents that's how we get a lot of new musical trends i mean Mm. someone who grows up in my generation is listening to lincoln park as a i mean what could be further from fleetwood mac you know right 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 what could be your parents yeah i mean but i i i couldn't tell you i think maybe part of it is my generation growing up and realizing there is a time and a place for these songs
0: um, <laughs> I, I actually read something recently that even tracked it to the rebirth of vinyl, because oh if God. you're going through the vinyl bins and your parents have have soaked you in uh, Bob Dylan and the Beatles and David Bowie, see it, but
1: I'm rocking back and forth because <laughs> I just hate vinyl so much.
0: <laughs> but if you go through the vinyl bins, you know the Bowie stuff is really expensive, the Beatles stuff is really expensive, the Bob Dylan is expensive, but but you can buy, you know, some of this crappy mellow gold from the 70s pretty dang cheap.
1: It's, it's, uh, look folks, my favorite David Bowie song is always going to be Suffragette City because it's just a little Richard cover, okay? (laughs) Like, I don't go in for this melodic 70s, you know, psychedelic rock. I just don't. I just don't. I love the late 70s punk rock. I love the rock of the 80s because I see the rock of the 80s as, as, Continuing that sort of stuff, but mixing it with pop in really interesting ways. Yeah. And it's just Guardians, just does not do it for me. But Guardians 2, I thought, did some very interesting things.
0: Now, having said all this, I do have a few thoughts, baby. <laughs> so now that we've totally trashed Guardians One, totally we, trash. we just watched Guardians Two last night, and I thought it was a much better film. Yeah.
1: What the hey? I think I think it's much better. I'm still not, you know, probably not going to jump into like a repeat viewing anytime soon. Although the music is worse. I hate Brandy. You're, you're a fine girl. girl.
0: What a
1: good
0: wife you, you will be. Need. Such a <laughs> <laughs> oh! <laughs>
1: like. That song, okay. So the one time I've ever liked that song was when it was used ironically in the two thousand reboot of Charlie's Angels. Yes, when that, they have that loser yeah. Chad who's supposed to be somehow sleeping with Cameron Diaz. I don't understand. He comes no, up. No, no, he's the
0: boyfriend of. Uh, oh, is it Drew Barrymore? Drew Barrymore. Okay, so that that's even funnier. Sense. Yeah. So
1: because and he comes up. they don't
0: play the song from the seventies. He sings. He's it. He's singing it because he's a huge loser.
1: Like yeah, right. And he's coming up. He's like, I thought we could have a little breakfast, and then. A little trad. Like, he's supposed to be this <laughs> huge loser yeah. who's singing Brandy. Like, that is the level of disdain that I think we should hold that song in. <laughs> so what
0: sells it for me, the reason I like Guardians 2 better, is because of Kurt Russell. I mean, let's be <laughs> honest. That, so for me, as a Gen Xer, watching Guardians 2, it's, they took the ideas of Guardians 1 that they sold out on, and they fulfilled them. The music is used much better. The layers between the 70s and the current storyline in the movie are much denser. I mean, they've got Kurt Russell. They do the weird CGI thing to make him you know, young again at the beginning of the movie where they're showing you back in the 70s. He creates a planet that looks like the 70s. Yeah. And there are all these in-jokes woven between. In other words, they start to get the details right in yeah. a way that the first movie doesn't. It's a rare case where I think the second movie is way better than the first.
1: I, I think you liked the second one more than I did. I still liked it, but I thought there was still some very weird tonal stuff going on there. Such I, as? I won't, I won't spoil the scene itself, but there's a, there's a breakout scene at one point where a couple of characters are getting out of basically jail, and, you know, they're playing some cool 70s track, and, you know, it's a really badass moment, but, you know, what I'm seeing is this incredible massacre of people yeah. who really can't defend themselves from this level of power. Correct. Um, and, you know, we have been conditioned as an audience to hate these characters and and really cheer on their deaths, but to me, it is filmed in such a way and shot in such a way, and it's less of a raucous celebration to me of a breakout and more like, oh, So, this is what it feels like to be on the other side of like when when the The Joker gets out of prison. Superpower, yeah. Yeah, like that is. It was horrifying to me, and they're playing some really cool 70s track, and this is supposed to be a a raucous, fun thing. I I was terrified. Yeah, no,
0: you're right, you're right. And I should make it clear that I am not probably ever going to talk about the Guardians movies being a part of the canon, but what is fascinating to me is the Guardians movies comment. On the canon, mm-hmm. right? Their use of the music and the way they're sort of bringing back these actors from the boomer generation, right? Because it's not just Kurt Russell; they they've got freaking Sty Stallone.
1: Yeah, so, so, yeah, like slide. yeah only got about three lives, but he's in, there. Like it's in the movie,
0: <laughs> right? So you know, this movie only really is entertaining if you like pop culture. and and cultural discussions at large. I mean, that's what Guardians is all about. The action is very interesting, but in this movie, they fulfill an idea that I think they meant in the first one, but you really get hit between the eyes with it in this one. And that is, I saw something, there was a great action sequence in the first one where I thought they were trying to imply Galaga. I mean, the way the ships moved and the way they were being shot, I was like, "They're, they're referencing the video game here. But it wasn't overt. Well, they make it overt in Guardians 2. Yes, like,
1: if you they, didn't get it the first time, James Gunn is a huge nerd. Like, they're
0: going to really hit you with the idea of you know video gaming. They bring in some of the sounds from the old arcade games. And so that... Action is much more enjoyable if you know American pop culture.
1: Yeah. Um
0: in in a way that the other Marvel movies aren't. You know what? You can watch Ant-Man and not care about pop culture. You can watch Iron Man. You might miss some of Tony's jokes, but those hold together as stories on their own. Guardians is a movie about pop culture.
1: Yeah, it's a movie about the canon. Um I, I'm just still kind of hung up on these these weird tonal moments. Like there is there's a really potent, like it's a good moment, there's a really potent moment where we're first reintroduced to uh, Yandu's character played by Michael Rooker where they're playing some very ethereal, it's not supposed to be like an earth track, they're playing mm. some very ethereal, very spooky borderline like cyberpunk music and they're mm. in this like snowy environment where there's like a big party going on and it was and I will rarely say this in regards to any piece of media at any time It was too effective. Like I was like, "Oh my god, what?" Oh, like I felt displaced momentarily because I was like, hmm "I want this movie. Like, where is this? I'm not going to get this in the Blade Runner reboot." Like, (laughs) oh my god. Well,
0: you've been bugging me for years to watch Judge Dredd. I think that's where you get that. Yeah. Well, that's what (laughs) Sylvester Stallone looks like when I see him in in that scene. He looks like he's Judge Dredd.
1: Dredd. (laughs) you for me. I mean, there's no Carl but he's doing alright. He's doing okay. He's got his hair dyed black. He looks in better shape than he did in Creed. Like, he's doing okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, yeah.
0: Alright, so we, we still have eight minutes to go. What are we yeah,
1: going to talk about um, <laughs> Can we talk about how much I love Drax I love Drax. Well, we can talk
0: about Drax because you love WWE, which is another thing. Oh, my God.
1: Please, dude. Girls are listening to this podcast. Could you not out me like that?
0: Oh. (laughs) Samuel, I don't think there are any girls listening to this podcast.
1: Damn it. All right. Look. (laughs) Yes, I like WWE. Okay? It's fun. I know it's stupid. And yes, I know it's fake. I put it in quotes. Here's the thing, folks. There's no way to fake falling from a 20-foot ladder onto your back, okay? That just hurts. The point is, Dave Bautista is a really talented wrestler, and he is the rare guy, like The Rock, who has been able to translate those gifts into some of the best physical and comedic timing I've seen. I think he's so funny.
0: So when I'm going on and on about a story getting the details right and the story holding together that often comes to a flashpoint. You know, I'm Gen X, raised on all the Bruce Willis movies and the Schwarzenegger movies and the Stallone movies where the one-liner, you know, that flashpoint really told you about a character and advanced it. Now, when you don't do it right, it becomes this flat, stupid groaner like hearing a pun. And there have certainly been plenty of parodies of the 80s action one-liners, except that we still live in that world and one of the problems I had about Guardians 1 is there were all these moments where I'm, you know, they set up the one-liner, and then there's nothing. But in Guardians 2, there are plenty of funny one-liners, and guess who gets all of them? Drax.
1: Drax gets all of them. Because Drax is the best. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just love him so much. I th- I love that he's, like, this huge dork who is also a murderous psychopath. Like, it it is a very hard character to nail. I think almost anyone else would have probably gotten it wrong. Um, but I totally believe Drax. He's probably my favorite character in The Guardians. He uh, just is a straightforward, blunt, kind of, I mean, he's kind of dumb, but he's also, he has remarkable insight. You know, he's a character who, if you're playing D&D, low intelligence score... Maybe fairly high wisdom score,
0: you know? Correct. Uh, You know what? You're supposed to like the uh, rocket character, right? The the raccoon. Who's played by Bradley Cooper. Who's a certified Hollywood star. You can tell they spent their money on getting Bradley to do the voice. And you know what? In both movies, he's underwhelming. There are a few moments. But I'll tell you, that character and the dialogue that comes out of his mouth... Half as interesting as what comes out of Drax's mouth.
1: Yeah, no, Drax is just, he has no filter, he has no qualms about telling the truth to people who are asking for it or not asking for it. I mean, I just love, he puts his hand on Chris Pratt's shoulder and just goes, you need to find a woman who is as pathetic as you are. Like, like (laughs) that is funny to me, that is awesome, because in Drax's mind... It makes perfect sense. Yeah, he's not actually joking. Yeah, no. There's no joke there. And he doesn't even mean it as an insult. No. To him, it's like, (laughs) I... You know, he had his soulmate. He found his soulmate because she would not dance. And he would not dance. And that, to him, is the most magical thing in the universe. And
0: guess what? That's Batista's acting. Yes. He sells it that way. Other actors probably would sell it as an insult. Yes. But the character can't be saying it as an insult. Yeah.
1: I mean, you have all of the Guardians and i think this might be where it kind of where you get kind of that appeal maybe to my generation it feels like all of the guardians are maybe not quite well they're not actually none of them you know what i'll just come down pretty firm on this none of them are adults none no. of them you know chris pratt's no. not an adult no. he's an 8-year-old in a 29-year-old's body yeah. gamora is not an adult though for reasons kind of outside of her control
0: yes um, there's a lot of talk about her and her sister there's a, the sisterhood dynamic is yeah. a really Big part of Guardians 2, but that still puts them in the role of children.
1: Yes. Uh, Raccoon is not anywhere on any sort of emotional development spectrum. He's just an asshole. Yeah. Um, Groot is deliberately infanticized. I mean, it's that's okay, because that's what they deliberately meant to do with him. Yep. I think Drax might actually be... He's the one parent, yeah. Yeah, he's the adult in the room. That's I mean, correct. Because he has, as you have always talked about, he has gone through... Both of those crucibles that change people. He's been shot at, and they've all been shot at, mm-hmm. and that doesn't really seem to have affected them at all. No, but he has been a parent, and he's lost right the woman that he loves, right. and
0: yeah, he, there's a gravity to him.
1: Yeah, there's a gravity to him that that comes off as very sincere, especially when surrounded by all these weird slapsticky, goofy antics. Right. Where he's, so. he, I think he, I like him because. I like things that aren't ironic, I like things that are earnest, I like things that say, you know what, I feel really passionately about this thing, or this person, or this right. piece of media, and I'm sorry if that honesty isn't coated with a layer of humor, or snarkiness, or irony, but he's, he's he just says what he feels. So that's uh, why I have problems watching
0: uh, Guardians, you know, I should like Guardians, but at this point, I've seen the Chris Pratt character so many times in movies both good, medium, and awful. You know, I've watched movies with that kind of goofball, iconoclastic, wisecracking guy. You know, the antihero. God, I've watched that my whole life. And so you've really got to nail it or give me something new and interesting for it to for me to care. And he's just kind of paint by numbers. It's, it's again, it's it's well, flat and hollow.
1: I think it's fair, because they invite this comparison to compare him to Han Solo. Han totally. Solo is an anti-hero. He is somewhat emotionally underdeveloped. Yep. Um, he does have, you know, a co-pilot who's, you know, just kind of not supposed to be as, as adult as he is. But the thing is, Han... He he he. Han at points comes off as even more of a jerk, but you feel like he has really seen stuff that makes him earn that character trait. Mm-hmm. Chris Pratt feels like he's whining a lot of the time. Yeah, he he feels very uh, one of one of the points of contention I do have with Guardians 2, because again I did like it more than Guardians one, but I still didn't like it as much as you. There's a reveal towards the end. Um, that the villain has taken two things away from the character that are very important to him. Mm-hmm. But they're not at all equivalent. And his character, the way he says it, makes it sound equivalent. And that was actually really gross to me. Because yeah. one of them is far, far worse than the other. Right. And I don't know if they're playing that for humor. Well,
0: I think one, they're, they're the same to him. In his emotional life, the one represents the other. So he, I, I, I bought it that he compressed those. But so this movie obviously made Pratt a star, and now I've seen him in the remake of the Magnificent Seven.
1: <coughs>
0: yeah, and I we're saw spitting him, on the
1: ground at that one.
0: And we saw him in the fourth Jurassic Park movie. <coughs> <coughs> and uh, he's just not showing me anything else. I mean, he's a goofball, okay. Yeah. Maybe if we saw him in more dance-offs, you know, it, it's like they let him go to a certain point. But for him to really be interesting in this whole line of antiheroes, they need to let him keep going, and they don't. They sort of hold him back into a a pretty narrow confine of Hollywood blockbuster They have found someone
1: who they've been looking for for 40 years. They have found another Harrison Ford.
0: I don't know that he's Harrison
1: Ford. No, I don't think he's that good, but I'm telling you that's what Hollywood sees. Absolutely, 100%. They think someone else can fill that role now. There's Mm. a reason his name was bandied about for the Indiana Jones reboot. This, this so is not do a Do we know who's... Well, we... no, we talked about this on another podcast. It's just going to be old Harrison again. But there was a time where they were thinking about just rebooting it with Chris Pratt.
0: Well, they're still going to have to
1: reboot it with yeah. somebody. Yeah, and it will be Chris Pratt, people. Like, it's... It's, it's Ever since though, they were able no? to chisel him out of, you know, being kind of out of shape that he was in <laughs> yeah. And Rec, right. Like, whenever they were able to get him on that diet... Again, none of this is against the man, personally. He's a very wonderful human being. I've seen him in interviews. Very funny. Very cool. I'm talking about Chris Pratt as an actor in the professional sphere. Yeah. It's it's it feels cheap. It feels manufactured. I don't yeah. buy this guy as the yeah. next American icon. Right. He, he's I agree. I,
0: I I do like him also. Uh I think every 3 months I watch the blooper reel from Park and Rec. Yeah, no. <laughs> and no. He's just That's hilarious. That's like not
1: something that props can fix. That's going to be a little harder to fix. I'm out. Like, he's, he's so... He <laughs> I
0: is. wish they would let him do that. Clearly, the people who made Guardians watched that blooper reel. Yes. That's the guy that that interested them. Yes. And they let you see a fifth. Not a fifth. Less than that. A uh, tenth. A, a tenth, tenth of
1: what Chris Pratt was allowed to do on Parks and Rec.
0: Yeah, they show you a little tiny sliver of that because that's the gigantic machine that Hollywood is. I want to see all of that. Make
1: that guy Star Lord. Yeah. That would be more interesting, but yeah, it would I mean be just, harder to control. Well, yeah, if you turn it up to 11. The thing is, improv on a big blockbuster set like this is really just verboten. I mean, you just, there's not too much room for improv. You have such a tight shooting schedule. No, I, have I, such I know the mechanics, budget. but I mean,
0: just l- work with the script writers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let, let us see more of that. Give him don't, some kind so. of creative control. But anyway. All right, how are we going to wrap this sucker up?
1: I don't know. Um, just, I mean, go see Guardians 2. Guardians 2 is very good. Uh, has a lot of really interesting moments. It's another story about fathers and sons, which we like a lot. Yeah. Um, But, you know, if, if I am going to be the one member of my generation who stands at the gates of canon and tries to block the tidal wave of Guardians 1, I will. It's just not there. There's no there there, as we like to yeah. talk about. Yeah. So sorry to do a haterade podcast, guys, but we gotta have that one in there. So thank you for listening. This has been the re. Brandy, you're. Oh a my fine god, girl. Oh my god, you're a good. Oh my guy. god,
0: you would be. Oh my god.